teacher's desk. Hello, you found the teacher's desk. Welcome. This is episode 10, moving forward and looking back. Well, thank you very much for joining us here today. If this is your first time, this is The Teacher's Desk. My name is Ivan. This is my podcast. And this podcast is all about teaching. It's all about learning. And it's all about, well, the classroom, which currently in this year of 2020, it's existing inside of our homes for a lot of us. So we've actually focused this podcast, The Teacher's Desk, on helping those parents and other adults that are trying to run that classroom from their home, trying to make sure that their children don't fall behind as we work our way through this pandemic. Now, please reach out. You can stream this podcast on just about any of the major streaming platforms. You can reach out to me through those platforms or through the Teacher's Desk Facebook page or Instagram account, or you can email me at teachersdesk.podcast at gmail.com. Okay, so today I'd like to get right into my most recent interview with a wonderfully dynamic teacher, Annie. She is a seventh grade English language arts teacher, position that is very near and dear to my heart. And she's also a mother of two. So she's been doing both the role of the parent at home trying to run a classroom, as well as a teacher for other students at home and in her area for some students that come in. So... Without further ado, here's my interview with Annie. So today we are here with uh, Annie, and uh, welcome Annie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Um, I'd like to, uh, if you don't mind, will you please tell us a little bit about your um, teaching role, like what grade area you teach and what, uh, what type of instruction that you do? Well, currently, and I've done a lot of different things in my educational career (laughs) that spanned about 20 years, my current job, my current role is a seventh grade language arts, and I teach reading, writing, and grammar (laughs) vocabulary, (laughs) do a lot of book studies and integrated vocabulary uh, studies for seventh graders. Nice. Right on. I I got to do that for a little while as a long-term sub. Uh, for a seventh grade uh, reading and writing combined class uh, for about four months. And so I used most of the other teacher's curriculum. He had to take um, take the time off for family issues. So I used his curriculum, but I really got to dive into a lot of that and a lot of the word exploration and um, a lot of vocabulary, a lot of context, a lot of taking something and looking at it on several different levels, um, a lot of emerging things going on in the seventh grade mind. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm really drawn to seventh graders because that was the year that I really found my voice in writing was in seventh grade. So yeah, I've, I've dabbled around in, in lots of different grade levels, but I've been in seventh grade now the longest just because, um, they can get so excited you can have a lot of mature yeah. conversations about um, writing and what they're reading, and they get so excited still. Like they're still yeah. young enough yeah. that you can kind of, you know, <laughs> jive with them, and and um, you know, they they kind of accept your your funny humor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, you can. <laughs> you can also rib them a little bit with some sarcasm, and they get it, and they uh, 
but it's right. fun to kind of go through the writing process with them because it's, um, you know, I, I mean, I taught third grade and I taught fifth grade and, um, yeah, okay. seventh grade is kind of that magical time when they're really starting to get their voices and you can hear it in their writing. And it's so exciting. It's interesting that because I, I love middle school as well as a, as a teacher, I did a lot of work as a para and my student teaching and then a lot of subbing in uh, middle school and I really enjoy it. And of course the other teachers that are there really enjoy it, but it's like when you talk to people, just the general public that aren't necessarily teachers, middle school is usually that, Oh no, I, Oh, I can't stand it. Oh, I don't want to be there. Like, I can't believe you do this, Right. but it's so, it's so different for the teachers because we're, we're present for this, for this time period, which for them mm -hmm. it's chaos. For them, so many of them, it is, it's, yeah, rampant chaos constantly, emotionally. Um, I mean, everything seems to be happening all at once. But for us, it's, it is, it's an exciting time for them um, to be around them because they still will get excited. And right. discovery is, is a big thing. Um, uh -huh. In high school, discovery a lot of times is um, squashed down. <laughs> right. And like, don't, no, don't get excited about that. Stoic. Got to stay stoic in high school. <laughs> I know. In uh, middle school, it's still um, pretty open. Beautiful authors mm -hmm. that we've kind of found some short stories. One was called Binti last year. and uh, But I can't get away from A Midsummer Night's Dream and the mm -hmm. whole Shakespeare thing. The kids eat it up. And I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, who shines the most are the kids that struggle the rest of the year. And yeah. my kids that are so low, every time I start that unit, they get so amped and just, mm -hmm. they're just pumped to, to read lines every day when they're not generally readers, you know, I do feel like yeah. it is a special population students who just eat it up. Oh, well, I, no, I think that's, and you're the perfect um, type of teacher to be teaching it because it, it makes Shakespeare accessible. If you're not yeah. excited about Shakespeare, nobody's, very few people emerging readers discover Shakespeare on their own and yeah. enjoy it because yeah. I mean, it's a play. It's supposed to be read out loud. It's supposed to be, mm -hmm. I mean, the, everything in it is so big and uh, yeah, you have to have somebody that's excited about it. But once you, you can find that and have that relationship, I mean, mm -hmm. moving on always to have that relationship with the mid and summer night's dream is just, that's, that's timeless. That's going to stay yeah. with them forever. They're always uh -huh. going to get those um, allusions to to Puck or, um, right. <laughs> I, I mean, it's so, wow, that's that's great. I'm glad to hear that you made your way to uh, um, to middle school. Um, that's, it sounds like it's the the place that you, uh, you need to be. Yeah. So everything's been kind of crazy for the last almost well, like 10 months, eight months. And uh, with this pandemic, what what are some of the things that you've seen? What has it shown you as far as uh, teaching goes and your relationship to your students? How is What stands out as far as what's changed other than it not being in person anymore? How has it affected your teaching or uh, your relationship with your students? Mm. Wow, let's see. <laughs> yeah, with the, there's constant pivots, I feel like, in what kind of the expectations are and, or what the, you know, we're being asked to do and what we're trying to do and what we think is best for kids. And of course, what we think is best for our safety. Um, mm -hmm. But so just thinking about the beginning of, the, of last week when I was in person with 
the seven kids that were <laughs> remaining for the hybrid schedule in my classroom um, mm-hmm. and, you know, weren't at home choosing to be remote or whatever. I, even though I hadn't seen them since or I'd never met them in person, only a few of them. I knew, you know, a few of them from just personally, but sure. there were a lot of students that I hadn't even seen face to face yet. And when we first went back, I felt really connected to them, even though we'd been online. And I don't know if that was just because I know that we're all kind of going through a similar circumstance. So we have lots of empathy for each other, but just that common understanding and Mm -hmm. common interest of being together in person when we'd been online. But I think communication Mm -hmm. has increased quite a bit between teachers and students just because you have to communicate through you know virtually through meets and email oh my gosh seventh graders have never been such good emailers (laughs) (laughs) I feel like and I've you know I've kind of you know massaged that a little bit as far as like this is how you will send me a proper email because you know Mm -hmm. um but, Which is good. That's, a, wow. that's an etiquette I mean, I get, that needs to be learned. Yeah. Now I guess, I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, the curse and the, um, you know, and a good thing all at the same time is that uh, we do get so many emails, but when I get them from students that are, you know, written like, dear Annie, I hope your day is going well. Would you mind when you have a moment to check my um, assignment that was due last week? <laughs> oh, that's great. Like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> So that's been kind of a blessing in the, you know, in the midst of, of all of this is the, just kind of learning how to be a better communicator um, so that you can get your points across succinctly and, you know, politely. And <laughs> this is, this is huge. That's, I, that's awesome. I, you know, it's, it's weird because I feel like um, there's a little hesitation to look at positive things. Uh-huh. Um, being forced to go remote. And I've had a couple conversations uh, with other people recently talking about how some of this is like people whose kids are like, ah, actually, my kid's excelling. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing fantastic. Mm-hmm. Or like what you just said about being clear communicators, that's such a hard thing to do. And as teachers of writing and reading, understanding that there is an etiquette to each type of these things Mm -hmm. so that we can communicate clearer. I mean, Mm -hmm. emojis were born out of the need to show emotion in shorthand because you can't, I mean, how many times were we going to have to get in trouble for a text that we sent? Well, all right. And then we put the silly emoji on there. So they know I'm being sarcastic instead of being mean. Right. (laughs) Oh man. What, what important skills? Mm -hmm. I mean, cause I, I've interacted with high school students that for all their effort really did not have the skill of composing a simple email, mm-hmm. which when we talk about moving on past high school, that's, that's big. That's yeah. uh, number one way of communication. It's especially now post pandemic right. in-person interviews <laughs> and stuff like that. It's yeah. So that's, that's cool. That's some really important skills development. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, so that's been a positive um, yeah. And I think just, I, so on our, you know, online learning, uh, we have our first period, which is only 15 to 20 minutes long is community. We're really trying to, as a district, but, um, in our school, keep a sense of community 
And so we have, we're doing some C lessons um, every week on Wednesdays. We have an hour long social emotional curriculum that we're doing. Our counselors have set up for us to do every week. And we have these little groups of, you know, 18 kids. That's our community. And so it's kind of like homeroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's who I see first thing every day. And I have the best homeroom. I mean, they're so funny. <laughs> and so, and you know, they all have their cameras on. And this isn't to, like, that's not the same with all my language arts classes that I teach throughout the day online, but right. this particular group of kids are hilarious and they're so engaged and they're so witty and smart and funny. And <laughs> I just, that's like the one thing I look forward to. Uh, well, I, I mean, I look forward to my other classes too, but that part of my day is such a bright because sure. we were not, you know, it's kind of it's forbidden territory to talk about academics during that time. We're just like connecting <laughs> and talking about the weekend. Oh, or... that's nice. So that's it's nice. been, that's been a highlight too, because while we do kind of a homeroom thing in person always um, over the years, this is so different because you pop in and Hey, who was first here today? <laughs> you know, who got on first? Yeah. Let me ask you a little bit about uh, having that dual role. Cause you are also a parent. Mm-hmm. And working from home and trying to construct a classroom of sorts for your kids to have their own. I mean, how has that gone for you? It's kind of, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. I specifically requested that myself and my two kids would be on the same cohort schedule when we started the hybrid in October. Um, right. So that if, if it was available to me and I know they wanted us, even though we were teaching uh, remotely, they still wanted us in our classroom. So, you know, my kids are old enough and they're pretty independent that they could be left here at home while my husband and I are teaching. Um, And my husband's been teaching full on in-person PE outside every day, which has been great for him. Wow. Excellent. Um, Excellent. So I've been back and forth. (laughs) My kids do okay online. They are definitely uh, in-person excel. <laughs> they excel at in-person yeah, learning yeah. for sure, where there's a lot of students that are doing better online. Uh, my kids are not two of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And so <laughs> when I have an opportunity to be home, like we just went remote this the end of this last week again, and we will the week after Thanksgiving. It is much better when I can be here with them so that I can in between class periods, you know, I can jump in and check on them in each of their, their rooms and we can all meet for lunch downstairs. And uh, so it is better when I can be here. And one of my kids does, she actually does need academic support. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's been a struggle not to have her in school, getting that consistently. So I'm, I need to be that support for her as well. So I do things, I have little tools where like we're doing it, we're studying the giver right now. And so I've been recording myself reading chapters every night before Mm -hmm. I post the lesson. And while I'm live online with the kids talking about the vocabulary of the day and um, reading responses and conversation and Socratics about the book, oftentimes I'll just play my recording (laughs) and I'll turn my camera off and run into my daughter's bedroom and help her <laughs> with whatever she's doing. You know, if she's in a math lesson or whatever, you know, right. and she, you know, she's at the age right now. And, and ironically, you know, we talked earlier about when you're a middle school teacher, that's it. I mean, you love it. 
but when you look from the outside and you're like, are you crazy? You're a middle school teacher, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Living that dual role right now is, is a crazy task. This does lead right into my, my next thing that I wanted to ask you about, because you are a trained teacher. And so you're able to give that academic support where it's needed. Mm-hmm. But these are these are things that schools would be doing and taking care of mm-hmm. um, while they were in. And so what one of the things that I'm talking about in, in these episodes is the gap. And mm-hmm. from the time that we start teaching, even in teacher training, but everything, all the meetings, we're always looking for the gap and trying to close those gaps and trying to lift up those kids that are prone to falling into the gaps. And one of those big groups is kids that need a little bit of academic support for whatever reason. And I find this disturbing, the fact that a lot of these gaps that we've been trying to shore up for so long are just becoming wider. Right. Have you seen any other gaps that are um, growing or even some that are um, shrinking? And you're as far as academically goes? <laughs> um, both academic. Yeah, well, access, uh, I, yeah, access yeah. to the academics. Um, yeah. Obvious, because a lot of times that's like, like I, I mentioned in my last episode, how the library at school is mm-hmm. such an important place. Right. It's, I mean, they have computers for the kids that don't have computers at home. They have a place to do work mm-hmm. for the kids that don't have a place to do work at home, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anything that affects that, uh, um, that education. Right. Well, fortunately, um, our district is in a place that we can provide a Chromebook for every student. So that was nice. One to one. That's great. Yeah. We're one to one. And, uh, you know, they even, you know, it, it is a hardship for people that don't have, um, access to Wi-Fi and things like that. And, you know, speaking of my Wi-Fi is always terrible (laughs) where I am too, but, um, you know, our whole campus was, uh, outfitted with some, with Wi-Fi. So if, if you had to, you could drive into our parking lot <laughs> and, mm-hmm. sit and do okay. school too. But there was an opportunity for, um, high need students to be in the building and school in small groups, but you know, that was a big load on our special ed department, right. um, to manage all those kids too. And we did lose our reading specialist this year. So a lot of us who, you know, are a little bit more trained in reading and, and all of that, or have taught it at least, took on some roles um, as reading specialists for, for some kids wow. online. I do feel like there's, we have a lot of resources. We're, we're lucky that way. And I do think that a lot of our online programs are working really well. You know, when I had my students take the STAR, uh, you know, a, a reading assessment, um, at the beginning of the year, I was actually surprised that there wasn't a bigger drop in reading scores because, you know, they hadn't taken that assessment since winter. We usually do three times a year, beginning and right. middle and end of the year. And um, they had never taken the end of the year one. And when I got the results back, I was like, oh, okay. I'm not, I don't have, you know, I don't have it's not as, as much to work with, with as I thought it would have been. But um, so that was, that was hopeful. So, yeah, while while the school board is really concerned about, you know, our academic performance, there's a lot of pressure um, on us for that. While, you know, (laughs) 
while at the same time, I'm just like, if you could just complete your assignments, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need to do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. I'm going to interrupt the interview with Annie for just a moment to talk about some of the things that she's sharing with us. Um, And it warms my heart that she feels comfortable enough to, and to share her experiences here on the teacher's desk. And it points directly to some of what I've been talking about as far as looking for the gap and trying to acknowledge the gaps that exist in this pandemic uh, with the at-home classroom and distance schooling. And the gap, as Annie points out, is very real and in some ways is made worse by the pandemic. There are support systems in schools that are built for kids that need extra help. And we've talked about this before, and I mean, it helps with students that are perhaps English language learners, and there's tutors that are there to help them to develop the language while still learning in the school. A lot of those students don't have English language learning support at home. What about students with learning disabilities? The students that need that little bit of extra support to give them access to the curriculum What about the students that need the behavioral management for whatever reason that they are struggling with their own behavior to focus in class or to interact with the people around them? These are different things that support systems were built inside schools to alleviate. And now that these students are at home, those support systems, for a lot of them, don't exist, or at least they exist in a distance format, which for a lot of students is not enough. And there was also this recent review of testing data by the NWEA that it's got some positive and some negative data to share. Now, before we go any further, let's acknowledge that I find testing to be a pain in the butt personally. (laughs) And I think that in recent years, there has been a lot of over-testing. However, as much as we may not like testing, responsible, purposeful, and reliable testing is vital to education. And when we get the testing data, we can see what we're doing right versus what we're doing wrong. Now, granted, there's a lot of things wrong with testing. There's a lot of tests that are not reliable or they are not being used purposefully, but testing data is important. We need to know if what we're doing is working. So what did we find with the testing data from this fall? From this fall, months after the pandemic started, months after almost all schools went distance learning, well, on the positive side, it was assumed that reading scores would suffer through the pandemic, which they have to a small degree, but not nearly as much as was estimated. Math scores have slipped a little bit, but again, not as much as estimated. Now, here's the scary thing. Of the more than 4 million students that were tested in January, nearly 25% of those students are missing from this fall's data. The 25%, this quarter of students that's missing, is mostly students from the at-risk populations. Minority students, English language learners, low-income students, students with special needs, disabled students, These are the students who now we don't have that data. And that is scary because those are the students that we do recognize are at risk. They do need those extra supports. 
Those students are the reasons why we built those supports in the schools in the first place. So what do we do? What do we do about this gap that's sitting here glaring us in the face during a pandemic? Well, first of all, knowing that it's there is vital. This is so necessary for us to understand that it's there and to identify the students that are in this gap. Second, we have to act. We have to develop a plan to reach those missing students, to get that data, to get them reattached or reconnected to the schools. You know, recent vaccine development is giving us a lot of hope, but we still have a long way to go. We need to act. We need to identify those students that need support or assistance, and we need it to be a priority. Okay, let's get back to the interview with Annie, discussing some other concerns that have come from this distance learning. I, I keep hearing about families that have one laptop and three kids right. and uh, one or two adults that are trying to work from home as well. And it's like, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's really kind of asking a lot. So, and then I'm hoping that as we move beyond this, hopefully we're able to stockpile a lot of what did work, what was successful so that if right. something does happen, whether it be because of weather or a virus or whatever it is, we can, we can easily shift Right. Into that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we just had a situation a couple of weeks ago where um, it was that awakening, like, oh, we all know how to do remote now. We're getting really good at it. And then I'm also a bus driver, by the way. <laughs> so oh, really? we, they called a snow day. <laughs> it snowed a bunch. And, um, and they, you know, the buses, you know, couldn't run that morning and say like, okay, it's a snow day, but it's not really a snow day because everybody can work, can be remote. <laughs> and we're like, are ah, our, our snow days a thing of the past? You know. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I know. So yeah, we we were, um, you know, the the superintendent had to kind of assuage us and say, well, you know, we'll just do remote when the when the ski when the mountains aren't open. But once the mountains, then we'll. <laughs> <laughs> definitely live in a ski town yeah yeah, yeah that's that's for sure <laughs> well i've been i've been focusing on that equity piece and you have you mentioned hybrid programs and some students coming in some students not for whatever reasons uh, some students feel more comfortable at home some students have autoimmune issues and should mm -hmm. not be around anybody. And I, I think that's going to continue mm -hmm. when, even after we are able to go back and a lot of this stuff, even not necessarily a gap so much, but it does have the potential to affect equity mm -hmm. um, in school. The difference yeah. between working with somebody on their paper in person versus yeah. trying to work with them through a zoom call or something like that. Mm -hmm. Have you, found it yourself having to work harder to uh, build up that equity? Because you said yes. you do actually get to meet with some of the students. Yeah. So how our, how we had it set up in our seventh grade team, uh, sort of, we can kind of take credit a little bit for coming up with the model that we did for a hybrid for the middle school. But we decided that because of, because of that, we knew there were going to be a lot of kids at home. It was going to be an impossible task to try to teach in person and not ignore the kids at home. And, you know, there was a little bit of a miscommunication at first with, well, you should just be focused on the kids in your classroom. Well, this last mm -hmm. week when, you know, there were seven kids in my classroom and, you know, 10, you know, 12 at home, 
that should have been in my classroom. That was that posed a little bit of a problem. So what we have done is we split our course. We have six teachers, two language arts, two math, one social studies, one science. So we split ourselves into mini teams within our team. So I'm on a, a team of three with one of the math teachers and the social studies teacher. And on our week, so we're the P, we're camp B, <laughs> and mm-hmm. the other three are camp A. And uh, when our camp was in person and only, you know, a handful of kids showed up a lot still at home, we were feeding into each other's classrooms with our own lessons. So we taught like in a block schedule. So we had math, the first block, social studies, the second block and language arts, the third block, instead of, you know, each of us teaching three classes a day, we teach one. So during my language arts block, uh, I was broadcasting into the other two classrooms of students. Plus we had one link that we were all in with kids at home so they could be in and and have their faces up on the smart boards and answer questions. And, and then how this really worked is that we had a fourth adult that was our help desk and they moderated the chat. And so while I do feel like I was teaching more to the kids in my room, obviously, and they were getting better instruction, obviously, but Um, At least the kids at home could be sort of engaged. You could look up on the board and call on one of them to speak from home and they'd broadcast into the room. And so all three of our classrooms were getting the same on the same meet. So we were all doing the same thing. And my, the other two teachers were facilitating my lesson. And then I got to facilitate math. So like seventh grade math is way out of my wheelhouse. Um, (laughs) So to, you know, have, you know, him, the math teacher broadcasting into my room for an hour and me like, oh my gosh, I'm learning algebraic equations again. Yes. I just do remember that. Yes. I love it. Um, and then it's the same for social studies, you know, learning about ancient Egypt. And it's like, it, it was actually quite beautiful if, if it ran together. I still feel like the kids at home, you know, when I asked him, I said, when we were back online and I was teaching all three of my classes again, online on Thursday is like, how did that go for you guys? Did you feel like you were engaged at home? And some of them thought they kind of were, and some were like, no, (laughs) could you just give us an asynchronous lesson? (laughs) So yeah, it's tricky. It's, we, we felt like it was the best model with what we had to work with, but it's not perfect. So. Oh, it does. It definitely, definitely sounds like the, um, a great model. And Mm -hmm. I really do hope that when we're all back together and in-person classes, I really hope that there is a network of sharing because there's so much learning happening. I mean, I'm still trying to stay away from silver lining, but I feel like this is a time for growth as far as new ideas. And I'm hoping that teachers can share these ideas from all these different um, experiences afterwards. Because, wow, what an amazing wealth of experience and adjustment when you are trying to you know foster you know an attitude of gratitude all the time um yeah can be exhausting but at the same time you know that eternal you know hope of of optimism through all of this is that yeah we are going to come out like way better teachers and i think for those of us that have been in education for a long time maybe it was kind of like that thing that you needed that forced you into thinking differently because we are moving into this crazy paced age of technology that is just making so it's you know way beyond me anymore (laughs) like you know used to think that you're like the savvy 
young teacher. And now I'm like, what, what's this <laughs> button do? Um, so yeah. if anything, I, yeah, I hope that we're all recognizing and acknowledging how much growth we are going through in just, you know, eight months time and we'll continue to. <laughs> yeah. We'll get right back to the interview with Annie in just a moment. I got to jump on to what she was saying here. I really do think that we have reason to have confidence that we're learning from all of this. The pandemic is a huge pain on so many different levels. And so everyone has been affected by it. But what Annie said about being better teachers, without a doubt, there isn't a magic bullet to, to these things. But real ideas are developing real solutions. There's a wealth of new methods that are being developed right now, as well as data on how well they work. It can be very difficult for progressively minded teachers to implement new ideas. And while the constraints against allowing them to do that haven't really gone away, this pandemic has opened up some opportunities to try some of those. Now, for my teacher friends out there that are listening, you know how much reflection is a part of education. In order to be a good teacher, we have to actively reflect on the things that we do, on the judgments we make, on the assessments that we create. We have to constantly reflect. I have to say, the reflection that follows this era, this pandemic, will yield some serious personal growth personal and departmental and all of this, things that we've learned about ourselves, things that we've learned about our students, things that we've learned about our system and how it can work better, perhaps. Annie's right. We'll all be better teachers for this. Okay, I'm going to get back to the interview with Annie and some advice for parents that are having to teach from home. I've devoted a lot of time in my episodes to addressing teaching from home and how you're balancing that. And you've already told me in several ways that you've been helping your kids while also trying to be a teacher. <laughs> to parents out there that aren't teachers, to parents that uh, are struggling, what would you say to them to give them a little bit of advice on how to keep them going on a, a steady path forward? Oh, man. This is funny when you ask me this question, because I do feel like I have lunchtime meets with families often <laughs> because their kids are struggling and they're concerned. And I'm like, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, and what do I say to them? Uh, what do I say to them? I, I think I just, you know, first of all, I say, because I know I have to remind myself all the time to give myself grace. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself as a parent teacher because I feel like my kids should be doing really well because I'm a teacher and they're not. <laughs> and so I think just to, you know, just to give yourself some space and grace and, um, you know, just check in with your kids and not put so much pressure on them. That's where I butt heads with my kids a lot is that, you know, I'm always checking up on them. So we made an agreement that because we know that we've all been on technology all day long and it seems insane and ridiculous <laughs> that we, they need a break. And I'm not a big advocate for homework during this time. I feel like right. 
they can they should be getting what they need during that hour of each lesson um, and then be done with the computer. But I we are having them right after dinner. We sit at the table and say, just open your Chromebook and just go through your Google Classrooms today and let's just see where you're at. And and that's kind of it. I if I push any further than that, then it just becomes a battle. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my whole career, well, since I've had kids, so it's been 14 years, my whole goal in life was to not cross over my home with my school. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am in this, you know, I mean, it's so ironic that now home is school and school's home. And so I think allowing them to have some time where you're just laughing and joking. And we often do TikTok dance parties in my house. <laughs> so we we do that. And then we sit back down and just, let's just do a quick check. Um, Excellent. Every night. So that's kind of where I'm at. And with parents that are struggling with their kids, I'm like, just, you know, it's okay. Just, we'll get there. <laughs> don't, don't stress too much about it and just do a quick check in every night, you know, if you can. I think that's tremendous advice. I think you really hit the nail on the head as far as you can't live at school. And if school comes into the place where you live, it's got to have an off switch. Yeah. And I I, I love it. I think that checking in is huge because they always know it's coming. Mm -hmm. And if it's consistent, I think that that's, that's awesome because they know that there's going to be a Mm check-in, but they also know that after that they're done. And Yeah. yeah, that's, that's tremendous. I mentioned a little bit um, in the last episode about momentum and uh, so much of this is just keeping education active, keeping mm-hmm. learning active. I love that space and grace. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the teacher's desk and I really enjoyed talking to you, Annie. Thank you very much for your insights. Oh my gosh. Thanks for the invitation. This has been great. It's so great to talk with you. Yeah. Please share these ideas that you have. Um, I'm glad that I got to have some of them on here. Um, (laughs) As we move forward, I mean, if you and your teacher team, sounds like you're doing amazing work. I hope that you're able to put this stuff on paper and (laughs) show other teachers what you did to at least to some point, make it work. I mean, which is what we do. We never, we always want to hit a hundred percent, but we very rarely do in teaching for whatever reason. So we're kind of used to doing our best and dealing with what happens. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But um, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I love it. Grace and space. It's what we need right now. This pandemic is really wearing us thin, you know? I mean, it's it takes a lot of endurance to put up with something like this, more than I think most of us have. And when you think about what teenagers or children or preteens are going through already without all of these restrictions, this is getting long. So we need to give a little bit of grace and space. I think it's important for us to realize that doing your best is enough. Perfection is not your goal. Your best is your goal. I think Annie really had some good points. Be consistent. Check in with your kids. Make sure that they know they're going to be checking in every day, but also give them that little bit of wiggle room. Give them that little bit of space and watch for those signs that they need a little bit of space or they need a little bit of help. The endurance necessary to get through this is huge. We're all exhausted. 
So many of us thought we were going to be back in schools at this point. So many of us hoped. I would say all of us were hoping we'd be back in schools at this point. But we're not. Not just yet. And so as we move forward, we're looking behind us to see what has worked. What hasn't worked? Do we need to change things around? Do you need to change things around at home? Make things a little bit different? We've talked about bringing your children into the conversation of what would work best. Maybe it's time to redecorate. Redecorating or, re or moving things around can really help to change your attitude and your level of engagement. So what are some of the things that you can do to provide that grace and space to your kids at home? Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in to the teacher's desk. Again, if you have topics you'd like to discuss, reach out to me, teachersdesk.podcast at gmail.com. You can reach me through the teacher's desk on Facebook, on Instagram, and of course you can find it streaming on nearly every streaming platform. Thanks again to Annie for being our wonderful interviewee today. I think she had a lot of powerful stuff to share with us, some really uplifting things that are happening, as well as acknowledging a lot of what we're worried about, the students that fall into that gap. And again, this is Ivan, thanking you for joining us here on the teacher's desk. Until next time, please be well, take care of yourself, and help each other. Peace.